Welcome everybody to another episode of a West Seattle NASCast. This is another Mailbag Monday. It's episode number three and we haven't given up yet. Or Monday Mailbag if you prefer. Um, I'm joined by uh, one illustrious co-host this evening. <laughs> um, I know him as Dad. You know him as Pastor Terry, the good reverend. Hello. Hey. <laughs> is this the way you, uh, we're recording on a Sunday night, we'll, we'll publish this on a Monday. Uh, is this how you uh, imagined the perfect Sunday evening? Oh yeah, this is, this is exactly what I want to be doing at, what, 6.30 p.m. in the evening? Yeah. Wait, do, do you enjoy recording? I enjoy recording, generally. Yeah, I was being sarcastic But there. maybe not on a Sunday evening. Yeah, Sunday evenings probably. Yeah, I'm ready to kick into a movie. But when, this is still good. It's all. It's well, all maybe good. that's the first question. What's the movie tonight? Is it a show or a movie? It depends on when we're done here. Well, if this is a disaster and we give up, then I'm going to go watch a movie. If it's not, we'll watch a show. We can't watch Jack Ryan, though, because we've just finished both episodes of both seasons. Both seasons. Was it good? Language is intense the first season. I shouldn't have watched it, honestly. But yes, it was very good. And the second season was better, thank God. It, it went back more to TV 14. As somebody who has uh, read many of the Tom Clancy books, do you, do you approve? I do. I do. It, you know, it was written in the original Soviet Empire kind of thing, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the United States, the Cold War. And it misses, I think, some of that mystery to take the same person. Because I originally thought it was about... His son also called Jack Ryan, but it wasn't. It's around the original character. They just put him into a new context. So I, I miss some of, the, some of the intensity of those moments. But no, it's still good, very good. So you're saying the world is less intense today or differently intense? It's differently intense. Actually, in some respects, I think it was safer then only because it was in everyone's interest not to go to nuclear war. It was very real. I lived every day thinking it might happen. I think... The Middle East, for example, is a nightmare waiting to happen. I don't think America's uh, woken up yet to the Chinese, um, different kind of threat, the Chinese threat to replace us as the dominant uh, nation in the world, and that will make create a very, very different world. Well, those are probably questions for another Mailbag they Monday are. on another podcast. That, oh, maybe we could have. Uh, probably be fun. Maybe we'll have a... Uh, as we come closer to the election, maybe we should have a, a Mailbag Monday politics version and get two or three guests that uh, are on both sides and, and we'll duke it out. One of the things, though, that surprised me, and I don't recall it in the books, I recall it, there was only one book of the Tom Clancy I put down because it was just too dark. The rest of them were fun, but not, and dark in some ways, but, I mean, it's like watching a, a PG-13 movie where people are getting shot and it's going at a fast pace and it's all good, but you don't see the blood and guts. This one is more intense in that respect, and Jack Ryan himself isn't always a saint. And, uh, you know, you would have to, to be who it's portraying him to be, so it's probably more accurate than the man I have in my head. So that was kind of Well, speaking of dark and speaking of uh, all sorts of death and, and goodness, maybe we'll, uh, this is not where I was going to start, but maybe we'll start with Ananias and Sapphira. Why not? <laughs> That's, that's a, dark enough. That's a good transition. Um, just so everyone uh, knows today, the plan is uh, we are going to, our, our Monday mailbag is going to be a review of, of where we've been over the last couple weeks in, in the book of Acts. And uh, that, it covers much of chapters 3, 4, and the first 11 verses of chapter 5. So, so just to catch everyone up, and you might want to go read that uh, quickly before you dive in, but uh, Peter and John heal. 
or it says that Jesus heals through them. Uh, gosh, I always forget. Is it? It's a lame man, not a blind. It's a crippled man. Yes. Crippled man. So, so he's healed, and uh, that gets the church of that day all sorts of notoriety. <laughs> well, it gets this new new church all sorts of notoriety. It gets the uh, the old oh. guard um, all sorts of feeling away. Um, they're not big fans of it because of the message because of the, the who's doing the healing they had just finished yeah the resurrection healing. so we'll maybe circle back to that they bring him in arrest them uh ultimately release them telling them never to talk about jesus again because that that threat's gonna work um and then they go and they, they didn't know what to do with the chop of their day essentially Ooh, whoo see they go and have a they have a prayer meeting mm-hmm a good old-fashioned, probably on a Wednesday I night. I Chop had prayer meetings. A prayer meeting. I bet there was. Well, yeah, of course. I, I, I heard of several pastors who would go down and, and would pray as they walked through. So oh. there you go. Um, they have a prayer meeting. How come we didn't? Because the West Seattle Bridge. <laughs> That's not a good excuse, but no, it's the it's one not. I'm going to use right now. Um, <laughs> they have a prayer meeting. Then Luke decides to jump in and give us a picture of this community uh, of of, of oneness, they, they have everything in common. Um, they begin to sell and, and redistribute their resources. So specifically, we're told no one has need. And then uh, you get a picture of, of this early disciple, uh, Barnabas, who sell, sells a field and, and gives it to the church. And that is contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira. And given that you started with something dark, I figure we'll start with something dark. I, in the sermon today, said I think it's a horrible story, and I don't know what to do with Ananias. And I wasn't quite sure why I was allowed to be taught it as a kid. Uh, but let's just begin there. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, how do you approach it? I'm guessing not. Uh, you probably don't come at it the same way I I think we should, first of all, do. review how you approached it, including, as I recall what you did today, and I thought it was profound and excellent. Uh, Tell me to, more. Is to, yeah, right. Is to re- okay, no, I'm done. <laughs> is to reset... Uh, the idea that Luke is emphasizing that this is the rebirth of God's vision of a people of God, of a new Israel, if you will, and that you have to go back to the Exodus story with Ananias' fire, you have to go back to the Achan story of coming out of, uh, of, of conquering the new land and, and Achan stealing some of the property for himself and keeping it, and then the whole tribe of Israel failing in a major battle as a result of that. So the, the point is, you emphasize the not, no one had need, that that was the breaking in of the Jubilee, uh, which, is, which is the coming shalom. It was the breaking in of the cancellation of debts, the breaking in of the ending of slavery, the seven-year contracts so that your interest couldn't be charged and had to be forgiven within seven years, those kinds of things. I think, I think that imagery needs to be seen before you get into the dark side. So uh, certainly Luke here is highlighting um, how critical this new community and its emergence is. And, and that's, not even, that's not even putting it strong enough. Like, for Luke, this new community is, um, it's, it's a, certainly a critique of the temple, but it's more than a critique. It is, in a sense, they are, they are fulfilling, by the power of spirit, um, that which the temple fulfilled. Uh, so uh, you see that in, in um, the two places, chapter 2 and chapter 4, where it says that there's no one who had need. That, that is a direct, um, it's really a quote from Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy talks about Jubilee and, and some of the, the rhythms of how they will practice both Sabbath and economy and uh, just set themselves up as a people. So Luke is, is certainly making some claims about 
about this community in its early stages fulfilling uh, the ancient calling of the people of God coming out of the Exodus or out of Egypt in the Exodus story and that they are leaning into this, certainly not by their own doing, by the power of the Spirit, but, but they, are, they are doing that. And so uh, the critique then with Ananias and Sapphira, that has uh, all sorts of images. There's three or four stories in the Old Testament. There's the Achan story. It's either, is it Samuel's sons or Eli's sons? E- Eli's sons. So there's, are they the one that kind of treated things a bit ho-hum? They did, and they took the sacrifices for themselves and ate them instead of, of treating them properly, and they basically invited the people into um, distorting the truth and getting rewards from it. It was just, just not, they were, they were doing, a, I need to be careful how I say this, they were doing a lot of things that sometimes we in the modern church do to attract oh. attention. Good. Uh, they, yeah, that's probably another question or two. Um, then there's a couple other stories that I'm forgetting on the top of my head right now. I know one of them is when they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, on the little wagon thing, and mm-hmm. it, it looks like it's going to fall off, and the person... Uzziah, I think? He tries to grab it and stop it. And he tries to protect, and he gets killed instantly yeah. as a result of touching that which was sacred. And so what would you say uh, the, the point of these stories is to make the claim that don't mess with holiness, don't mess with... That certainly is the point of that. And, and for... Okay, so i'm I'm wanting to 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 first say what you said, but let me contrast it then. I, I think the thesis that that is t- intended all by the various writers, and we're talking two thousand years of history now or fifteen hundred years apart anyway, I think the one of David coming in, the point is to say God is saying to David, "You can't control me. You can't make Jerusalem the capital and me just your little thing that I'm going to make you holy and good and look good." Um, and so the message really is to David, uh, who was in somewhat arrogantly dancing freely and, and, and celebrating, which is fine, but he was doing it with, with a sense of lightness that I own this whole story now. I'm kind God. of a big deal. Yeah. And, and so one of the, the things that's happening with Ananias and Sapphira is whenever those kind of things happen, um, God, according to the word, and, and here it's not specifically laid out, and you made a good point that Luke is silent on the causation of the death of Ananias and Sapphira. I think it's hard to read that without saying there was something, something divine happened there. But the point that we would both agree with, I think, is that however you get that, Luke is trying to say this is a big deal. You don't play with this beautiful kingdom, this thing. You don't make it your own. You don't suddenly start, because the sin was robbing. It wasn't the failure to gift. It was the failure to gift everything when you said you were going to give everything and you held back a part for yourself. Yeah, especially as this uh, new community is, as it's being described, I mean, it's, it, they're, they're mo- modeling the reality of the kingdom. What is that one I, a commentary I read uh, during a sermon, which is always a good idea? Um, what, they are a, a contrasting <laughs> community. So, so they, yes. are, they are this contrasting kingdom community and Luke wants to say this is of the utmost importance. This is, well, I mean, to, to play off of the Ananias and Sapphira story, this is, a, this is a matter of life and death. This is, you're beginning to see a picture of a community that is leaning into what it means to be fully human. And, and, and that needs to be honored, protected. Um, 
the call of the kingdom is to give yourself to that without uh, flippancy. And and I think the picture of Ananias and Sapphira for Luke is uh, that that they entered in that with a bit of flippancy that that does not allow for the kingdom to permeate. Yeah, and I think I think there's a secondary issue there that that underlines that in your generation, I think rightly wants to run from this concept of judgment uh, and violence and God acting in violence. I, I, the instinct's right. I don't tend to struggle with that, and people my age struggle less with that. Part of that is because perhaps we are less less loving. I don't know, but I think there's another reason. Definitely. I th- I th- what's that? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I think there's an, uh, another reason, however. We're feeling, we, we treat this as though it's an individual justice issue, and I think we need to recognize these are communities that God's forming. God has a dilemma. So he can, he can let it go on and let people hide and with their sins, knowing the multiplied impact of those sins over time. Or, like a parent does with a child, he can do something pretty dramatic uh, to get the attention of the people and, and awaken them to the import of what they're doing. And I don't overly struggle with that when I try to remember there's a whole lot more at stake than, than just Ananias and Sapphira. But I also happen to believe that this doesn't tell us everything about the destiny of Ananias and Sapphira in eternity. Um, I don't think we know that. I think the mercies of God did not end with their death, just as it doesn't end ever, according to Scripture. So, you know. Well, before we uh, maybe have some conversation about how one interprets that uh, the death itself. Let's. Uh, we've seemed to shift a little bit into what Luke is doing with it. So maybe let's stay with that mm-hmm. thread for a minute. Uh, how might you think about that in the life of, of of our modern church and maybe the flippancy we, um, well, maybe even just the shallow imagination we have for what church even is, mm-hmm. and the flippancy with which we approach uh, participating in the life of uh, this thing called body of Christ does I mean we're not Ananias and Sapphira doesn't say to us uh, be careful or you're literally going to die but but there that that's not to say there's there's some things that it maybe does say to us what would you think maybe some of those are well one of the things it could be uh, it, it is possible it struck me and I said this in an earlier conversation uh, in a pastoral staff as we prepared for this message that um it is possible that you have, a, and you noted this morning in the sermon, that, that Peter and John were quite young. They were young adults. These are not old gentlemen leading. These are very young men leading the church. And it is very possible that Peter got caught up and was not at his best at this moment. Not that he killed them, but, but that rather than, what, one of the things that strikes me as really interesting in the text is that the young men, young men again, went out and buried Ananias, and nobody evidently took the time to uh, let Sapphira know that her husband had died, mm-hmm. to, to take the time to mourn, to grieve, which would have been a traditional Jewish kind of thing to do. That's arrogant in and of itself. Um, and then that Peter's first question has to do with copying on her to find out, were you a part of this thing with your husband, rather than ministering to her. I'm not sure Peter would have done that 30 years later. So maybe part of the message is, is just this reflects nothing more than Peter's Yes. It's interesting, I started there this week, and I'm not so sure I'm still not there, but, but most of the experts that I read this week had very little to say negative with, about Peter and his response. 
So just uh, it's interesting in much of the scholarship that that it just there's no real critique of Peter. It's just this is what he this is how he handled the situation as one who was protecting this this um, emerging church. temple and not just an infant church, but this this picture of of the temple and and by temple not that they have become a building but they have become a place where heaven and earth are are overlapping in the life of this community yeah and i don't mean that as an indictment i mean that 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 there's a formational thing happening here and and scripture i mean he he was who he was and he probably clearly thought god was acting so how do we um I mean, it's not, this, is, this could really easily shift into a conversation about, well, this, people just need to come to worship services more, and they need to attend Wednesday nights, and they need to, um, and I don't, I don't think that's what the point of the Ananias and the Sapphira story is, but what does this say about uh, the sense in which we, uh, we are a people called to participate in the life of the kingdom in the present? We are called to participate in the life of the resurrection of the dead that is breaking in um, into to this reality, and and yet, and there are seasons for many of us where we're we're kind of leaning into that, but there's 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 also seasons where we find it easy to get distracted and go our own way. Well, I'm gonna take you all the way back to the originating event. Peter and John look, gaze upon this crippled man. They see him for one. We talked about that two weeks ago, and they said, uh, "We don't have any money, but what we do have, we'll give you." In the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And of course, the reflection on that, that, as it has been said, is that we in the church, I'm going to tie this to us specifically, can no longer say we don't have money because the church in the West is actually pretty wealthy. Uh, but we also typically can no longer say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Um, now let me, rather than go where that obviously goes, let me apply that. We have just finished, or in the, towards the end of a building project, where we're giving a new refacing of our project. We're doing that with the help of our neighbors, by creating a new neighborhood community. I think the great danger would be if we would settle into our new building and uh, not share it, not share ourselves, not give away this very gift God has given us both individually in our personal responsibilities with our neighbors and in the community. So how do we go about recovering? If, I mean, if that's true, and I tend to think it is, that we, we are now, at least in Western culture, a, a church that has all sorts of silver and gold, but we um, more often than not lack the ability to heal. Um, where does that begin? Where does it, and where does the beginning of not only confessing and repenting of that, but m- moving back in the direction of, of offering healing. Maybe, and maybe the answer is it just simply begins with the move that Peter and John, I think maybe you alluded to this, we, we have eyes big enough to see, and, and we're not so busy that when we see, we don't have time to stop and, and enter in. So maybe it's just presence. Presence is at least, and both to the community and to God. I mean, those are the two intertwining messages of these three chapters. They kept going back to God because they were in a situation larger than themselves. They were at risk, and, they, and, and God kept using them in mighty ways. I don't think we feel so much at risk. I think COVID-19 may have given us an opportunity, and I don't know that we're learning the right lessons. And I think, well, Luke, I think, would have something to say about not only learning the right lessons, uh, but being a people that find 
in the rhythm of life, the ability to, to have eyes enough that are open and to slow down. I think Luke would say part of that is the rhythms. It, it, it would be the worship. It would be the prayer. It would be the table fellowship. Um, it would be the apostles' teaching that these rhythms um, are forming in the life of a community of people that have eyes to see and aren't in such a hurry that they don't enter in. I think that's totally fair. Um, so, I, well, I don't want to take this off. Now, so let's stay there for a second. <laughs> the, the, the garden out here is a way that some of our members, a few, have taken active interest, and they are already impacting a handful of people, both within our community and certainly I've been, I have been privileged to, to hear two or three conversations as neighbors walk by, and I've just stood back and let them engage, and it's been, they've done sometimes embarrassingly witnessing <laughs> I mean, things that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say, hey, let's build some bridges before we go there, but there have been some, just some neat, bold invitations both to the fellowship and to the garden itself um, and I don't and, and I've been in several different situations so don't mishear that I mean I've been with a number of our what I hear people. you saying is that Christian just hasn't been uh, in, engaging our neighbors very well oh right? no he's in he's been I don't want to throw him under the bus by by saying that he I've never heard Christian do anything with any no, neighbor I, that I didn't think was so totally I'm just cool. kidding Christian so I didn't miss I don't want to mishear that but um, but no, that's exactly. He's been asking people if they're ready to take uh, one of the plots and take it over, and that's cool. I don't know that I would have that kind of boldness. Um, and and but that, the whole thing is, there's something with the hands, and there's something with the teens getting involved, and there's something with the neighbors seeing the life that maybe is important as what's happening around the building. So I mean, at the very least, Ananias and Sapphira, especially in contrast with chapters two and chapter four is this reminder that it really, really matters um, that you're fully present to the Spirit, to the kingdom, to the community, um, and that you're, uh, that we are, I shouldn't say you as much as we are a people that uh, we share, and we'll talk about that more later, um, that we don't, uh, we don't take a posture in life where we're just trying to cling to resources as ours, but we we approach community with, with open arms, um, ready to be generous uh, and to be a part of a community that doesn't have need. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. But because we got to wind down segment number one or we'll not have time for two and three, uh, how do you interpret the death? Are you, are you, I mean, we're now moving to, to just the interpretation. Are you comfortable saying that, yeah, I think it was God that killed Ananias and Sapphira? I think it was either anxiety and shame-driven heart attack in the first case. Um, panic in the second case, and I have no problem giving that to God. Do you? Um, I don't think God reached out and smited them. Smited them necessarily. Um, I'm not sure where. I, I don't even need to make a value judgment there. Yeah, what is that? I because I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> like I said, even in the sermon, I was like, I don't interpret this text as God uh, killing Ananias and Sapphira. And for good reason. You need to stay why you said that, because you interpret all Scripture through a certain lens. Yeah, through, I, I said I, I interpret Scripture through the lens of Jesus, who I see in Jesus a very nonviolent ethic, um, one that doesn't have room for really the idea of enemies, because you're praying for your enemies, you're turning the other cheek, who's telling Peter to put down his sword. And, 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 if you, and then I, I, I jump to that next line, that if you want to know what God looks like, well, look at Jesus. So when we see Jesus, we see God, and, and I can't imagine a world where Jesus would have smited Ananias and Sapphira, and if it's not true of Jesus, I don't see it being 
possible to, for it to be true of God. See, and that's where you and I somewhat, I totally agree with you in terms of the lens, in terms of the interpretation. and the, the, So there's a lot of things, particularly in the Old Testament and even in the New, that need to be filtered through, and we need to see that in human terms, not divine terms, and we certainly need to see it in Jesus. However, Jesus, in, as the church remembered him, was also prophetic, and he was not afraid to pull the punch. And he, he said often this incredible gift God has given you. If you choose to walk away from it and waste it, you will be wasted. And by that, I don't mean obliterated. I mean, you, you, you will end up in a garbage place when you're created for artwork. So I'm not going to take from God, particularly, uh, the fact that he's created a very risky world. Now, I'm going to trust that at the end of the day, mercy never ends. So that as it comes out to every human being, which is of infinite worth, God alone can call us all home and give us every opportunity, whenever God chooses, however God chooses. We'll save that for segment number three. I want to follow up, and okay. I don't know if it'll feel like a direct follow-up, but, but at least in my mind, I probably won't connect the dots. But uh, one last question I, or, or thought. Part of the reason I think it, it, it matters that we think theologically um, really, really well about God and we don't impose violence on God, and I'm not necessarily saying you are, um, is because inevitably, inevitably we become like the God we worship. True. And so if we worship a God that we think can smite people who, who act in ways we don't think is appropriate, then, then off, well, we run the risk of taking on that posture. And it, it, I, I ran across this tweet this week from Shane Claiborne. Uh, it may have been today or yesterday. He said, in case you missed it, the federal government executed three people this week. Prior to this week, we've only been, uh, we've only, been there's only been three executions in the past 50 years let that sink in uh the federal government killed more people in a week than they've killed in half a century um so part of i think what's important is that that we are forming at an imaginative level um, ourselves to worship a god that is love and that is um grounded well in scripture and the interpretation we all have to do within scripture because if we don't we run the risk of worshiping um not a different god so much but 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 we miss um some important nuance in in in, in that god and, and and if we get a little bit wrong then we can run the risk of 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 seeing violence as a necessary tool that could be used in a societal level i think um two quick things do i have time for two you have two things? quick things and then we'll go as it relates to the death penalty, I'm not sure where I am. I, I think I'm moving less and less in favor. Having said that, speaking for God in this situation, or the United States in this situation, is it more... <laughs> which, which is it, God? <laughs> I'm both a, a sovereign of a yeah, kind. Yeah. Is it truly more loving to take three lives in the firm belief that you may be saving 300 people eventually in a given situation because you're actually taking... You're actually making a point and message that there are standards and there are lines you don't cross, uh, or or to to do nothing and be kind to those three individuals and let let the message be out that people can do pretty much whatever they want. That's the danger. Well, and to circle it back to Acts, I think, well, and Luke, Luke and Acts, seeing them as a whole, that if the cross is anything, it is it is the unveiling. The it's the God. the cruciform God. It's the it's the putting the reality in front of you, the redemptive violence. It's, I want to say nonsense. Is that too strong? Redemptive violence is not... I do not think that's too strong. 
but I'm going to keep arguing, not because I believe it. I don't even like my logic. Don't mishear me. Yeah. I'm in some ways maybe doing devil's advocate. I think, and so keep making that point. I just, I think God has a dilemma, and I'm not so certain there are not moments We have power. a dilemma. We have a dilemma, but God has a dilemma that, that if we get more and more and more evil, we are more and more in the situation of Noah and Noah's time where, where it becomes so systemic in society, the pain is so great that you just give up and start over or do something different. That's because what we need... Um, is exactly what Jesus did. We need, not only do we need what Jesus did, but we need what Jesus has called the church to do, to yes. be a reality and in the life. That was my second point. That's God. So whatever God is doing here, I'm not going to overstruggle with, but it's very clear that we, the church, do not have that privilege. We don't respond to the awe of it by saying it is our power to take. Um, the example of that is it is totally, it saddens me, it sickens me every time when I see Christians in the American Christian tradition argue against COVID-19 enforcement for the sake of religious rights. Now, as an American, there's a part of me that's really glad for that, and I'm glad for the recent shift that lets the church have some exceptions here because it sees it as more essential. I think it's both accurate and appropriate as an American, but as a Christian, that is not my call. To the point that you are making. Gosh, this segment number one has gone way too long, so I'm not going to ask a follow-up. Let's take a break, and we'll be back with segment number two. All right, welcome back. Well, let's... I'm still here. That's good. Are you out of coffee? Uh, no, I've got enough for two or three more okay. sips. Um, let's Before we, maybe in segment three, we'll do a kind of a mailbag, and we'll... Uh, we'll just, you know, we'll hit everything. Uh, maybe we should uh, focus in a little more on uh, the idea of the community. Uh, in both chapter 2 and chapter 4, Luke has wanted to highlight this community that has some certain rhythms, the prayers, um, the table fellowship, uh, breaking of bread, both meals and Eucharist, probably a both and. I don't know if you would think it's a both and. I or think it's a, both and. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then it gives you this picture where they begin to sell uh, Unconscious, however, in the earliest stages, I think the Eucharist was just part and It was just a meal. meal. It was the beginning. Yeah. It was what we would do in prayer, but an elongated. We should do that again. I think so. Maybe we should just do a, a meal for a service and call it good. That's a, well, I don't think that's a bad idea. And, and if you can handle um, a, a long, when the, when the roast is... Oh, yeah. in your nose and your... That's actually not a bad idea when COVID goes away. We should do a service for meal. Um, but but you, it gives you this picture both in chapter 2 and 4 of this community that sells their possessions and, and, and both times says no one has need. And again, to go back to our intro, uh, I think it's picking up on some Deuteronomy language and some of the, the language of the original or the, the early people of God. Um, I, I was reading one commentary this week. I think it was Will Willimon in the interpretation series. And there, there might have been another or two that uh, couldn't hold back in comparing. I, I think Will Willimon actually quoted Marx. Uh, and, and there was another that just said, uh, this, what you have here is like, it was either socialism or communism before socialism or communism. Um, so, I'm, you know, let's not get ourselves in too much trouble. But <laughs> were, were the early Christian community socialists? No, not as we mean it by Karl Marx. Yes, in terms of the ideal he was espousing. 
Okay, so uh, say more about... It's the difference between power and love. Um, so they weren't... I think what you're saying is they didn't think we should give everything to Caesar and let Caesar redistribute. Exactly. And even more importantly, I don't think, I don't think Ananias and Sapphira, to, be, to give the example, had they said, we uh, sold our land, we kept 25% for our whatever, and here we are presenting to the apostles 75% to meet the needs of the community, I don't think anybody would have given a rip. I don't think that was the issue, and I think Peter was making that point to Sapphira specifically. So through communism this wasn't but it was profound and it was radical and you preached about that this morning the, the idea that they were giving up the rights of getting something back because they were giving it at the hands of uh, of the apostles they were giving their property over to the church for the church distributed in the name of Jesus and they wouldn't get what culturally they would normally get by giving a gift which is servitude back or an honoring back or whatever oh yeah so they were in many ways um providing an alternative ethic in the world that was contrasting the Roman ethic of, what's that big word that I butchered like four times? Reciprocity. Part of me when I try to rationalize chapters two and chapter four is, oh, we can't do that because we live in a different time with a different economy and uh, you have to have retirement accounts and you have to, if you want to, if you want to do even good ministry in the world, you have to have a certain economic standing to be able to just live. Um, so, so it's clearly harder for us than it was them. And there's probably a conversation there. Maybe we'll go there in a minute. Well, can I go there for a little sure, bit? Sure, let's go. I think, I think there is an ideal that the United States could get to. Because my whole objection is the power issue. I don't want a bloated federal government because I don't think that helps people. I don't think at the end of the day the people who need it get it and, I, and it's just another power structure. However... I do think every American born in this country should have a certain amount of money set aside from those who are working that is gifted in their name, let's say 2000 a year for the first 10 years for college education, and then another 2000 a year for the first 10 years uh, for their retirement. So that, so that no one in this country, regardless of how much they gift or don't give, will go into their young adult life without buying being able to have the means to go to college or an industrial school or get a home and then later in life retire. I do think we need to create a new capitalist ethic that says I don't earn only for myself. Redistribution doesn't bother me at all. I think that's, that's at the heart of the Jewish economy. I just object to the idea that you're going to do away with capitalism because what are you going to replace capitalism with? It's talking about money. Somebody's got to earn money in order to give it away and it's, just, it's the way we do it. Uh, a couple thoughts. Uh, first of all, I think Luke would critique what you're talking about there because he would say you've just narrowed it down to American. Sure. And uh, if you go back to Acts 2, the people gathered are people representing all over, and the unity is in the diversity, but the diversity isn't simp- wouldn't be um, simply uh, American folks. It would have been people all over the, the world. Absolutely, and the United States government ought to be giving 10 or 20% of its income away around the world. Um, we give about 1%. We're not as generous as we think we are. We're big enough that what we give makes a difference. Um, and thank God for that. Having said that, we need to be far more generous, and there needs to be a significant dedication of our income for the other people. And I, and I think that's a, well, it is an interesting conversation, but the, the problem is, is that conversation could, well, could quickly shift to now we're talking about American ethic and 
True. And I, th- I think this is where Axe wants to just keep reminding, keep reminding, keep reminding that, yes, you're Americans, and much like what it says in Jeremiah, you are to, to plant vineyards and build gardens and um, pray for the prosperity of the place you inhabit, but, but that doesn't mean your ultimate identity is American, that your ultimate identity for, for John, for Peter, for, for this emerging community is the, the, the people of God, the kingdom of God, and, and the call to witness to that reality. So how do we live in America and, and with all the benefits and, and the pluses and all the negatives? Um, how do we participate for the sake of livelihood and, and having food and shelter and all those things, but, but hold on to our identity as a kingdom people who are living by that kind of politic, not necessarily the politics of, of, of America? For, for us, and as a pastor where I failed, in my opinion, for a period of time, I think when I was leading uh, an urban congregation, we were successfully giving away 20, 30, 40% of our income, depending on the year. And I think that was meaningful. However, I don't think our people ever bought in. Meaning, it never translated to individual families setting, doing the Axe model, setting aside significant income and on a regular basis giving it away both to their local church, a percentage, because we were going to give it away, but also to international organizations, etc. Uh, that just should or be justice our, organizations. Or justice organizations, absolutely. Yeah. That should be simply our ethic. And not just money, I mean time and effort. Um, the question I asked earlier, why weren't we up at CHOP? Why was I not up at CHOP? Because um, of West Seattle Bridge. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Well, the very first night that the demonstrations happened, I, I wanted to go, and, but I was getting ready to go to Idaho, and I couldn't. That was my excuse, and then I came back, and I never engaged it. So long before they, some of them turned towards, um, some of them, a few of them turned more violent, I might have been ma- making a difference just by being there praying. I mean, so it can be energy, not just money, but it needs to be something. Yeah, so, okay, um, let's go back to a point I was trying to make with, uh, to me it feels h- harder or more costly for us to think about this in the world we inhabit, but I was reminded that there would have been, like for... Um, is it, uh, who is it, Barnabas, right before Ananias' fire, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for him to sell that field, or, or others who had been doing that in either chapter 2 or chapter 4, that would have been great, very costly. They, yeah. lo- they probably were selling land that had been in their family for maybe hundreds of sure. years and had deep meaning and impact and cost. And so, so this is Emotional as well as, yeah. Yeah, so we shouldn't just flippantly read past it thinking, oh, no big deal, that was then, this is now. There was this generosity with which they gave themselves to was, was a costly generosity. Um, so, so how do we think Well, of I think it? there's another way that, that that has merit, and that is I think there is something to be said, and the church ought to be taking the lead here. There's something to be said in the racial um, uh, tensions going on between African Americans and, and uh, persons of white skin primarily um, because of the slavery issues. Uh, one of the systemic issues that c- grow out of that is that um, I, I received a lot of benefits from being white and from the accumulation of wealth of my brother and my father. Some of it cashed onto me. Much of it was much more subtle, but it was very real. Uh, access to loans, access to whatever I needed whenever I needed it. 
So I ought to be gifting some of my income or some of my means, and we as a church certainly, for giving, uh, putting together 10 grand, 20 grand for an African-American family to buy their first home as a down payment. We should be doing those kinds of things that give, give life and start. And you, for you, you would say that that, though, um, when you said the church should be taking the lead, for you that is less an issue of the federal government um, but for and, and that, because that's a different conversation, you're not saying necessarily they shouldn't. But but as the body of Christ, if we're going to take seriously the kingdom ethic in a holistic way for all people everywhere, um, that what it means to to live in such a way that no one has need is to be generous. Yeah. At the very least, but it's more than that. I have no problem with redistribution of wealth. No problem with the federal government being involved in that. I think as a Republican, and I am one, I think. I think my party should be there. What I don't want is a social welfare uh, system because I think that ultimately enslaves people. Whereas if you gift people with economic or ability or education or means to, um, to, have, to have a fair shot at stuff, they're going to thrive. They're going to want to thrive. What about the church then? The church how, ought to how, be at the heart of that. How, well, and I, again, I don't want this to be heard in an overly negative way. Well, but, but um, we're increasingly, the stats all say and the trends all say that, the, that, that there's less giving happening more and more. And especially as older generations um, move into the mystery of what is to come, they're, and their giving uh, goes away with them, uh, that, that my generation and younger is increasingly... Why is that? I think my wife and I do that one thing fairly well. I think we give away a lot of income and time. So I, that, why and is that? That's the question. Why, um, why does it at least appear that the church is not, uh, or the church, not the, why is there less generosity towards the church? And, and maybe, because I don't think, I think if you talk to real people in their actual lives, there's a desire to be generous. I, no question. In fact, my question isn't. So why is it? My question isn't curiosity. Uh, this is a generation more consciously, socially conscious than any I have seen in my life. But where is the money? <laughs> Where's the personal investment? Now, I, I know a lot of persons of color who are making it, who are literally investing back into the communities, helping people in social justice issues, etc. But where are the white young adults who are literally saying, 20% of my income will never be touched by me because it's going to social justice or it's going to, or whatever, or my time or something. That's my question. Well, there's, I, I think there's layers. I think, first of all, they've been turned, we, they, us, have been turned off by the church and uh, how we've become, well, in, two, in several ways probably, have we, have we, it has felt like we've just become about the institution and building institutions instead of participating in and the kingdom. Um, in part, and tied to that is, is I think, a their reject a rejection largely not 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 universally but largely a rejection of of more fundamentalist um, theologies and that, that don't does not feel to a, a, an emerging generation as good news in part um, because they don't believe in the renewal of all things y- yes um, in part because the church has probably much like the church of Acts chapter three and four not not the Jesus church but the the, the church that arrested John and Peter has tried to cling to kind of our coalesce our, our power so That's we don't lose right. it 
and in so doing, we, we, we fall into traps of, of not being able to, I mean, if you go look at the polls, not being able to embrace science, not being able to, you know, issues, you think about LGBTQ issues, like all that the young people say, the church has it backwards on. Um, but then part of it, I think, and, and this is a challenge, I don't want to get myself in too much trouble, I just think we have, um, in fact, I think one of the commentaries talked about it, when you give up, when you, so, so if that is true and, and the younger generation has moved away from the idea of a bigger story, the divine, the renewal of all things, then what you're left with is self and so the pursuit of self. And, and I think we have bought into the idea, the popular imagination that if I'm going to pursue self, I need wealth. And so I want to be very careful not to give away um, the very thing I'm pursuing because that's the one thing that will give me um, life and the ability to have life and do life and experience things and travel and, and all of those. I, I don't know if I'm on I listened to No, I listened to a video this morning on my way picking up, uh, taking resources out to one of our families. It was, I, I was so angry. I still am angry. Um, and, and basically, I, I agreed with it and disagreed with it. But, but w there were two different videos. One video was basically saying COVID-19 is God's judgment on America and the world because we are not repenting. And, um, and so they were calling all the peoples of all the nations to go to their capitals and pray on a certain day and to go through a process of repentance around the Jewish holidays of, uh, of fasting to the Day of Atonement. So part of me totally agreed in the sense that we do need an awakening um, uh, and we need repentance. Um, the COVID-19 and the judgment thing I don't share, going back to our early conversations. But, but, the one, but, but, but here's, here's the tragedy. There was nothing in that call that had to do with social justice. It was also about personal holiness. And that's because the church that's calling for that is afraid of losing everything in COVID-19, wants to go on their face before God and pray that God's deliverance from COVID-19 so that we can all continue to be happy and wealthy and, and fine and do our thing and then die and go to heaven where we go to Disneyland forever. So that's, Splash Mountain. that's the lack of imagination. And, and what, we're, what we're not giving young adults, I think, is what, and here's where it ties to the text, both the Jewish church and the emergent church in that time agreed that the end game was the renewal of all things. There was going to be the kingdom of God coming upon the earth through the Jewish community, they believed, but it would encompass the whole world, and it would be this celebration we talked about earlier. The problem with the Jewish community is... The Christian community was announcing that it had started, and in the, specifically in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they wanted to say, wait, when this happens, it's supposed to happen all at once, and you're saying we're on the outside of the story. In fact, you're saying we're partly responsible for this. That was the real tension, but they agreed in their imagination with the end game. We no longer agree. We'll circle back to that in the last segment. Um, ultimately, I think, to tie it back to the text as well, I think Luke wants to highlight generosity um, and generosity of resource, especially if you read Luke and Acts together. Um, you cannot, you will not go far, you will not go many chapters without hearing some type of talk of, of resources from the, um, from the rich young ruler who walks away to uh, Jesus' first sermon in the beginning and, and just throughout, even on to Acts where Paul's going to go around collecting uh, donations to help the, the Jerusalem church through a drought, that, that there's a sense in which generosity 
um, should be at the heartbeat of God. In fact, one of the commentaries said this week that, that if, you, if you try to nail down salvation uh, or a salvation theology for Luke and Acts, you're not going to find salvation as simply um, a soul getting on the right side of eternity, but salvation um, is just as much a physical reality of does everyone have enough food? Does, does everyone have a place to lay their head at night? Is the power bill paid? That, that, that yes, there's a spiritual component to it, a, a sense of being right with the divine, but, but just as, as critical for Luke and Acts is d- does everyone's, are everyone's needs being met? Blessed are the poor, not the poor in spirit for Luke. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, not so for those who mourn in spirit for Luke. He was talking real reality. All right, that's segment number two. Take a break and be back and close this puppy out. All right, we're back. We got five minutes, and so I figured we would do a bit of potpourri, and uh, I'll, I'll interview you. And you can give me uh, 30 to 60 second answers. What if I decide to interview you instead? Well, that'd be fine. We'll go back and forth. Okay. I get one question, you get one question. Okay. First question uh, for me, if I can find it, in uh, Acts chapter, where is it? Yes, Acts chapter 3, verse 21, Peter is preaching a sermon. And he says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Uh, so question number one, or my first question to you, was Peter a universalist? <laughs> when he says that uh, God was going to restore everything, uh, maybe a less edgy side of that question, was he meaning everything? Would Peter have at an imaginative level taken that seriously? And, and what are the ramifications if the answer is yes? Well, let's, let's first of all, Let's be fair to Peter. Um, this is the first day out. Um, so at that point, I don't think he, you could call him a universalist. I think, however, you're correct. He clearly was talking about the vision of God's shalom coming to the earth, that the heavens, which they believed was around them, beneath them, above them, they didn't have this view of sun and moon and stars and the earth being round. The heavens, which was around them, was going to break in and when Jesus came back, he was going to come back to a kingdom fully restored. He believed probably in its infancy through the church. And that, that then debts would be canceled. The rich would automatically share their wealth with the poor. No one would go impoverished. That doesn't mean everybody has the same amount of wealth, but nobody goes with need. Creativity abounds. There's plenty of, it's Isaiah's vision. Peter believed that. And so he was, that's what he was preaching. Follow-up question, then you now, can ask. Paul, on the other hand, increasingly moves towards universalism, so, in the sense you're meaning it. So just quickly, I want a follow-up question, then you can have your question. And uh, for, for those listening, here's the quick overview. There's like three different camps. Often, uh, probably the most dominant camp in terms of where everything spins out in finality is, is the, the traditional belief of heaven and hell, and hell typically being a place of eternal conscious uh, torment. The second camp would be, uh, would, that, would that be annihilationism, where um, hell or whatever a type There's of hell a different is, list, but go ahead, that's certainly a, different a type of hell is you s- simply cease to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in other words, you have not lived into this new kingdom and God at the end of the day says, enough, no more for those who have, 
welcome. And, and then there's the third position. And I honestly, growing up, I thought this was a heresy. And it was only recently in the last few years that I realized no uh, universalism or hopeful inclusivism, there's different terms, um, is not so much a heresy. It, it's, it's a minority view, but it is a minority view that has always been a part of the Christian tradition. And, and it's the idea. Roman and Protestant. And I think you'd be careful between and universalism and Christian universalism. But yes. But it is the idea that in the end, all things will work out and all things will be made well because God is at work and is unwilling in the love and grace of the divine to give up and to let anyone um, in finality give themselves to death and decay and destruction. Uh, so why, I guess the follow-up question is, why are Christians so afraid of universalism talk? Why are we not open to at least letting it be a minority view that has a seat at the table? Well, first of all, there's, there's a part of the fear that I think is rational, and that is the fear that we got in the text this morning that we, we talked about in the first two sessions, which is there is no other name under heaven where which, whereby which women and men may be saved, um, where this new kingdom is coming. Which does not exclude a no. universalist worldview. Yeah, and I, I know you would know I, that. I'm going there. Um, so, so what is wanting to be protected, and what I will protect to my dying death is I don't believe all roads lead, quote, to heaven or to God. However, I believe God is acting in every human being, in every culture, in every event in the universe, redeeming it and bringing it back. In fact, I'll take you a step further than that. I believe the whole world is already redeemed. The Christ event, meaning the whole life experience, Christ event, death, passion, burial, resurrection, and now ascension where he, uh, Jesus, you can call him he, he, Jesus, is praying before the Father and the Spirit together, and then the Spirit is acting out through the church to make it real and beyond the church to make it real. Um, the, 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 the Jesus event changed everything for all times. Basically, God somehow is totally reconciled to all of humankind. No one is outside the reach of God's salvation. We, in one very real sense, we're all saved. Now, the only question that remains is will we, individually, culturally, personally, socially, will we enter into that salvation and make it real? That which is already true, will it become realized in us? And the, heaven and hell is, is, is the two sides of that issue. If I live into it, let's say I'm a Muslim, and I, I live into the very best that the Muslim faith gives me about the one God. And, and I see it as grace, and I live into that. And I never am confronted with Jesus, except that I know he's a good man, and he's a good prophet in my faith tradition, so I adore him. I know that the kingdom's going to come when Jesus returns as a Muslim. And suddenly Jesus comes back. I die, and I'm awakened, and, I, and with Thomas I say, my Lord and my God, because I'm before the God who is, and before the saving event, Jesus of Nazareth, who is then that, to me, that's a universalist claim. It doesn't mean that the Muslim faith is the way, the revealed way, as in Jesus. And it doesn't mean my salvation is because of all. It means that the grace of God was active within the cultural context and faith community in which I lived. Having said that, the danger on the other side is I'm a Christian. I sing all the songs. I dance all the dances. Well, depending on the tradition. I dance all the dances. I do all the things. But I don't have the love of God in my heart. I'm going to be in hell. By hell, I don't mean necessarily, but I'm really outside the story, even though I'm at the heart of the revealed story. Every day, I'm proving that that which is true, I am saved, is not real. And I'm making it less and less real, and I become less and less human. Second follow-up question, then you can have your question. Does that give you a sense? Yeah. Uh, you said that all roads don't lead 
to God. But that God is active. But w- I was going to say, would you say that God is present and active on and in all roads? He's present and active in every culture and every road, bringing people to the Jesus event. Absolutely. Well, that's fun. Okay, what's your question for me? That's a Wesleyan. That's a Wesleyan doctrine. So, so some some might not think so. So you were in your sermon this morning talking about your own faith journey, and as you often do, and I think do so well, you were, you were talking about your own skepticism of faith, and yet the, the beliefs that prayer, and I've just noticed in your own personal journey, an emphasis on prayer that did not used to be there. Um, so what's happening? Something's happening. That's a good question. Um, in all of the questions uh, and all of the doubts, uh, it's the you know the buzzwords that people throw around are deconstruction and reconstruction. So so maybe that's helpful. In all of the deconstructing and reconstructing, um, there has. Do you know how hard it is for a church to go through a deconstruction with its pastor? Yeah, well, <laughs> let's. No, it's it's a good thing. Is it? It needs to happen. Absolutely, it does, because you also reconstruct. Anyway, go ahead. Um, the, well, there and, and maybe this is the one thing that allows it to happen at whatever flawed level it does happen. Um, there's never been a moment where I've seriously considered walking away. Um, troubled, yes. Angry, yes. Um, serious doubt, yes. Moments and days where maybe I even question, uh, is God real? Yes. I'd be really afraid if you didn't have those moments. But that has never taken the next stop or whatever, however many stops down the road it would be, to I think I'm off. I think I'm out. Um, And why is that? Well, so there's always this mystery. Um, it's why I still use the term God. It's, it's why I still am deeply intrigued in Jesus and the way of Jesus. But it's why I also am intrigued by calling God the divine. Uh, because for me, that is a it's, a... it's an acceptance that at the heart of the Father, Son, and Spirit, there is mystery. And... Um, so if I'm not going to leave, then I better lean into that mystery at whatever level I, I can, whatever I can even means when you're talking about these things. So I, I, I mean, I have some answers on some things, but there are other things like prayer that I still don't have a lot of answers. But I, um, because I refuse to leave, I at least feel like I should lean in. And so... So if, for me, prayer doesn't make sense as uh, an approach to God as some type of Santa Claus, either on the best or worst version of that, that metaphor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then at least approaching prayer uh, through the historic lens of the church that says, here are some prayers that are good, here are some prayers that we would say are, are holy, and, and here are some prayers that historically have helped men and women in community approach the mystery of the divine, then for me... Um, that it, 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 there, there's some grounding there. Um, there. There's a sense in which that feels faithful, and it 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 feels like I am on a path uh, that has been traveled before. So I'm not just making it up as I go. So there's right there's this um, 
hopefully this ties in with, with the answer. There's this uh, pilgrimage, have you ever heard of it, called the Camino de Santiago? No. It's a 500-mile trek. Um, it's near Spain, and I forget exactly where it goes. Uh, but I've increasingly been paying attention to a couple of folks who have done it, and, and this idea just keeps coming back, like, someday I want to do that. Now I have kids, and so this is, for me, do that you walk would, it? Or? Yeah, you walk it. Wow. And and you do it in certain ways so that you, you get into towns where you have a room to stay. And, and, mm-hmm. and But, you know, you've got 20 miles a day in some cases, sometimes 12 to 15 miles a day. Um, and, it's, and there's all these old churches. And, and, and wow. so it's a very spiritual thing. And some people who maybe not don't do it for spiritual reasons, but um, unless you believe everything is spiritual. Uh, why am I intrigued to do that? So, so it just, I've just said, and I've even said to Kristen, someday when our kids are out of our house, I want to do that. So in my 50s or early 60s, I want to do that. I, uh, why? Well, it's, it's this thing that hundreds of thousands, I don't even know the right number, have done for years upon years upon years upon years. It's historic. It's, it's a path. And if, if everything is spiritual and if we're all in this together and we're all deeply connected in ways we don't even know, um, then me doing that is is larger than me doing that. In the same way, me saying prayers that have been prayed over the years, it's I'm now in some way involved in a mystery that I can't explain, don't understand, can't give answers to, but that feels to me more faithful than simply seeing God as Santa Claus. I don't know if I answered your question. You did, absolutely, and there's so much that I resonate with in that as a profound story, so I'm not going to add any comment except to say this. I'm still going to pray for a parking spot. <laughs> oh, dear. Last night I got picked up. Did you? Mm-hmm. Did you get a ticket? No. What? I was praying. Did you pray? Mm-hmm. And you didn't see? I don't know what to do with that. I oh. was charming. Were you? Do, see, Overly honest. I, I gave a good answer, and now you go to that, and now I, I want to give up on prayer again. <laughs> Maybe that's good. I think we've gone a while. We could do more questions, but we could save them for another week. I think we're done. Um, Thanks for tuning in. If anyone made it this far, uh, send us some questions, and uh, we'll be back another week. Much grace, much peace. See you later.